Hello, and welcome to an episode of the Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine COVID Conversations podcast. Uh, during this special series, we'll feature conversations between scientists, doctors, and trainees as they navigate the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Mallory, and I'm here today very excited to chat with my friend Erica. I am a second year PhD student in the Department of Epidemiology at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Um, and I do infectious disease research. Great. So Eric and I know each other from undergraduate where uh, we went right down the road at Duke University. So she's the ultimate traitor now being at UNC. Or UNC in sports ever. <laughs> um, and we both, both studied infectious disease epidemiology then or infectious disease and still do now. But as Erica mentioned, she is a PhD student studying epidemiology at UNC Chapel Hill, which has been in the news recently a lot for a number of clusters during their reopening process. And I don't know, you probably know what's going on there better than I do if you want to give us a recap. Sure. So it's funny because, you know, as a grad student, we only get certain emails regarding the undergrads. So I'm sure that there's more communication happening with them. But from, you know, our perspective as a grad student, you know, we know the undergrads all came back to campus maybe a week, few days before their classes started. And then pretty soon after that, we started getting these like Carolina alerts or something. I don't know what they're called, but we get them via email and text, and they're, they're usually used for emergencies, so if there's a severe weather warning or something like that, um, but they all were about these clusters popping up in dorms and uh, frat and sorority houses. So, you know, you'd get like, oh, there's two clusters in this dorm, and there's a cluster at this fraternity, and you just kept getting like bombarded with them um, throughout the week, and, you know, I I've heard anecdotally and seen on social media that kids are partying and doing things that you'd expect college kids would do. Um, and, you know, after the, I think there was a week where we saw, I think last week we saw like over 160 or something like that um, cases pop up in these clusters all around different um, housing situations. That's when the university um, started to I guess, backpedal on their original idea of having all of the undergrads do in-person classes. And they're, they're trying to de-densify, is their word, to try to de-densify campus by getting people out of the dorms where it's spreading or, um, but I don't know how much control they have over like the off-campus situations, which is where a lot of the partying was happening. So it was kind of this mad rush to, to rectify things. And, you know, a lot of students are, reasonably very upset because they were just trying to live their lives and some of their peers were partying and then they get quarantined or they get sent home and there just seemed to be a lot of confusion. Um, so right now, I think today and tomorrow, the undergrads don't have any classes so that they can like pack up and get out. Um, and it's a little unclear to me whether they're forcing all of the undergrads to leave or if they're just sort of suggesting that people leave it's you know that hasn't been fully explained um, in any of the like university-wide emails yeah I was trying to figure because I was watching some of the like news coverage of what was happening at UNC and I was trying to figure that out as well um, it sounded like maybe they were strongly encouraging all students to go home but not requiring it like they weren't shutting down the dorms or they weren't yeah. you know, 
but I, yeah. know, um, I guess what the testing situation was sort of pre the outbreaks or now like do you have any testing requirements as a grad student no 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 testing requirements okay okay, listen i don't think there is a testing strategy or requirement or there wasn't at least before these clusters before this outbreak so from my understanding there is testing available somewhere on campus right like major health center (laughs) Like, I assume you can get a test at student health if you need it. I assume you can get a test at the hospital. Like, I have no idea. They did not test all the undergrads when they, when they got to campus. I know that the strategy that Duke tried to use was, you know, test everybody beforehand. And I think they're, I think they're planning on trying to, like, repeat testing, stuff like that. Didn't hear any of that here. Um, I think that now that there's an outbreak, they, once there was a cluster, I think they started trying to test more people around that cluster. But again, I'm not privy to any of that sort of strategy. Um, but on the larger scale, I did see in an email that they were going to try to increase testing, but again, didn't really give many details on that. And at the grad school level, I don't know if it's you know school by school, but the School of Public Health didn't have any sort of testing requirement, um, but they were 90% remote. So it kind of doesn't matter because a lot of people aren't even here in North Carolina. So, you know, they didn't need to go above and beyond to get us all testing before classes started if we're just going to be in our homes. Yeah, I'm like shocked and not shocked at the same time to hear that there was no testing strategy. Yeah, I hate to say it, but a lot of it too is like the the politics of it all. I mean, the dean of, of the pub, school of public health put out a statement the day before maybe the university decided to shut down or maybe a couple days before, right when we started getting, you know, bombarded with all these clusters. She put out a statement that was a little, I mean, it was pretty harsh, but it was true saying, you know, how can UNC like pride itself on being like such a good school of public health if we don't listen and follow public health experts? Like so much of the decision-making is because of, you know, all the stakeholders of the university, their political ideologies, and, and the fact that this has gotten so political, that really like sort of drove home their decision to to do the things that they did and you know not listen to the state health department's advice not listen to like the so many experts the school public health that is a part of their university that told them like this is not the way we should do it and unfortunately and she was saying you know they because people would sort of ask her why is UNC like almost blaming her and she's like I don't have as nearly as much power as you would imagine being the dean of the school of public health at University of North Carolina like she's like I don't I don't have control over like what the president or the chancellor or whoever I don't even know the structure of thought like I don't know anything but she's like I have no control over that so you know we can give advice and we can say you know you should be including us in these task forces and things, but they're beholden to what the board wants to do. So it's just, unfortunately, the, the, I think the politics and, and that sort of thing down here is a likely uh, culprit for the decision making. Yeah, that, that's very, that actually answered my next question. It's like, what is, I mean, UNC is a fantastic school of public health. So like, you have so many fantastic experts working on great COVID work there. I'm like, how, how is this happening at a place with such a great school of public health? They don't care. They just don't, they don't care or they are willing to risk it in order to make the money that they 
you know, like that, that's the only other thing I can think of, right? Like, obviously they want people to be safe, but if what they care about more is how much money they'd lose, like, that's, that's the only other alternative I can see. Yeah. It is, you know, it is frustrating. And I've been trying to see, you know, follow all the different sides of it, because I do know that, you know, it's not financially feasible for universities to just totally shut down for a year or a semester or just not have undergraduate classes, nor, you know, if they decided to totally, I don't want Yale to totally shut down. Like, I want to keep progressing yeah. in my degree. Um, but it is frustrating to see the financial motives take such, like, a primary role in the decisions over the science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just really sad, you know, especially like I, I try not to let myself like go down that rabbit hole in my brain, but like just thinking about how this didn't have to be like this. It didn't have to go on as long. It didn't have to like get to this point where we've, you know, people have suffered such losses from this pandemic. And it's like, it didn't have to be this way. And I think that more than anything, like all the people that missed, you know, weddings and birthdays and other important things, like there's just so much that came about because of people's inability to listen to science. I think that's, as a, as a scientist, it's very frustrating <laughs> to be like, why am I doing this if, you know, the rest of the world, the, or not the rest of the world, the rest of the country, or the rest of the, you know, the government or whoever has the powers that be aren't even going to listen to me when I, like, explain to them what they should do after my, you know, decade of school for this kind of thing, you know? Exactly, and I think that's one of the most... Um like I guess frustrating I, I feel like I keep using that word but that's my general attitude towards everything I'm like it's just so frustrating <laughs> it's so frustrating to I think be a student learning epidemiology right now and learning infectious disease epidemiology specifically and like I'm sure it's the case for you too like so many of the faculty members that I work with at the school of public health have like dropped everything to do coronavirus a response and have dedicated so much of their time and effort and I have so much respect for both the people that I know directly who have pivoted entirely to respond to coronavirus whether in research or response or other fields and on the one hand be like so inspired and excited seeing what's happening in my little infectious disease bubble in response to a pandemic and then realize that it's really just in the bubble, like <laughs> outside of the bubble, it doesn't seem to be doing much of anything. And I'm like, okay, well, what am I getting all this training for if I'm gonna, the whole point of being an infectious disease epidemiologist is so that people don't get sick. 